Welcome to the podcast. We do recover with Jared Miller, your host. And I'm Dr. Terry Sellers, your co-host. This is a podcast about recovery from addiction. We want to talk about what successful recovery can look like. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. Welcome to We Do Recover. All right. Welcome to We Do Recover. I'm your host, Jared Miller, a.k.a. The Comeback Kid. I just thought of that last week. You like that, Sellers? Today, joining you in studio, we have... Our, your co-host and our medical expert, a.k.a. The Doc, Terry Sellers. Uh, you left an R. The Dork. Oh, is that? That's the Dork, Terry Sellers, be? yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Like that. Yeah. As always, we wouldn't even be able to do this thing if it wasn't for the man, the tech titan, one and only, Sean Denovan. Test your microphones, thanks. <laughs> hey, guys. Testing. Oh, Good that's morning. what you were supposed to do, Sean. Hey, guys. Hey, guys. There, there it go. is. There and... Is. For episode 25, we have a special featured guest, a really good buddy of, of Dr. Sellers here. He is a clinical mental health counselor, and he works at P- Persevere, which is a nonprofit organization, which I understand. The man, the myth, the legend, Mark Pepper. Good morning, y'all. Feels really nice to be here. Thank uh, you for the invite, you guys. Uh, you have a radio voice, by the way. I've been told that. Yeah. I've been told I have a radio face yeah. also. Sean, Sean's <laughs> got a great radio voice, too. You guys could do radio. There you go. You, you're okay. I'm a, I have the face for... A dumpster <laughs> and the voice for the same. I can see how this is going to go already. Yep, yep. I like it. Well, let's That's get let's get the sponsor in there. So, episode twenty-five, part one, is brought to you by Steps Recovery Centers, where addiction ends and healing begins. If you or a loved one needs help, please reach out to them. 801-800-8142. They're amazing people. They got a great organization, all the way from inpatient, even detox, inpatient, outpatient, the whole nine yards. Give them a call, 801-800-8142. All right, let's do a little check-in. Okay. What's new and good in the world of uh, Terry Sellers? The doctor. The doc. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I, might, I, might steal my, I might steal our guests new and good. I don't know, because we're on a road trip together. Mark and I have been on a few road trips in our lives, but uh, we're on a little road trip and uh, got some golf planned, and I'm so excited I can barely stand myself, because I can't play golf in Utah County this time of year, or Salt Lake County. So we're going to play golf right after this is over, and that's new and good for me. Well, even down here, I was going to say this it's podcast not going to be warm in sunny St. George, Utah, but it's raining today. Yeah, it's not going to be warm. That's all right. It'll be we're pl- and we're playing tomorrow when it's going to be colder, but we're in Mesquite tomorrow, so it'll be a little warmer. Good thinking, good thinking. All right, let's check in with our guest, Mark Pepper. What's new and good in the world of Mark Pepper? Well, thank you. Thanks, Jared. And I was thinking as you were asking, like, what's new and good? And I want to share sort of a little different angle on that. So, um yeah. So my dad passed recently. Sorry to hear that. And the new and good is, um, I'm I'm getting through it, and my family's getting through it, and we're finding a lot of love. And what I'm finding is, with my recovery and just with the, my way of life, like the the more um, I kind of miss my dad, the more I see how much I loved him and what he gifted me, and how much um, compassion and love and generosity he gave. So I'm actually feeling really connected to him through his passing and, um, and to my family more, my sisters and their kids and, um, and my kids and wife. And so it feels new and good. That's beautiful. And that's sort of a, um, you know, as we're going to get into some recovery stuff, like what I've learned is my perspective is sort of what I have that I could look at things differently. And I always was fearful of my dad passing cause we're so close, but it's been, 
It's been new and good. I wish I could have had that same perspective when my father passed. That's beautiful. Well yeah, said. Thank good, you. Good new and good. Thank yeah. you. Man, he's so good, much he's for dynamite. I know so much for me. Like, like having almost nothing to say when he hits us with that big heavy. That's beautiful. I've met Mark's dad, Sanford. Yeah. Sanford's a hell of a guy. Seriously, hell like, of a guy. Shout out to Sanford Pepper who Oof. is up looking down on us now from some other perch. And I've played golf with Sanford once in my life, I think, <laughs> and it was the time of my life. It was so fun. Sweet, sweet yeah, man. That's a good guy. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Really good guys. Sean Denovan, let's check in with you. What's new and good in the world of Sean Denovan? Yeah, a little more stressed than normal, but life's fine. Life's great. Listen, those side hustles, can uh, they can they can be heavy sometimes. Yeah, they take away from all my personal time. <laughs> yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. Right on. What, right do, on. what do you got going for a side hustle these days? Uh, well, uh, I was up in Washington doing some uh, consulting work, right? And now I'm remoting into Washington, doing still doing consulting work. Uh, okay, and, you know, you'll set them straight. They'll I get hope, they'll get so. some radio stations up and rolling. I hope so. All right, nice job. Yeah, buddy. Well, here we are. Yeah. What's today? The twenty second of January. Is that true? Or am I behind it, today? No, it is. Is it twenty second right. of January? Okay, here we are, twenty second of January, two thousand twenty one. Basically, brand new year. Twenty twenty sucked for everybody, right? For almost everybody. Mm -hmm. And then twenty twenty one came along, and we're six days into twenty twenty one, and it's not to be outdone by twenty twenty. So six days in, people stormed the Capitol, and twenty twenty one looked at twenty twenty and said, "Hold my beer." This is a podcast about recovery, by the way, but. Um, 2021, it's going to be new and good, right? Yes. We have our featured guest, Mark Pepper. And uh, what we want to do is get into Mark's story a little bit. Tell us a little bit about yourself. So let's start with, tell us a little bit about yourself, like right now. Like what's what's happening in your life? What are you doing with yourself professionally? What are you doing with yourself personally? Tell us about your family, that sort of stuff. Beautiful. Thank you. Yep. I um. So I, I, um, I had the opportunity to marry like the love of my life this last year. Um, 2020. 11 months ago. Yeah. Congratulations. 222. So it was the uh, 22nd of February and um, we've had a, just a beautiful life before we were married. We, we've been friends forever and dated and I, um, I married her. Phil's amazing. Um, I have two kids. I have a 25-year-old daughter who's amazing. Just this beautiful spirit, a wonderful woman. What's her name? Her name's Mikkel. Okay. Mikkel Pepper. And my, uh, I have an 18-year-old son, Max, who's also an amazing human being. And, um, you know, uh, ironically, I got sober two months before he was born. I don't know if that's ironic. Uh, I'm not Apropos gonna, of nothing. I'm not going to correct that for sure. Um, but it's the way the universe... And I, after trying to get sober for 15 years, I, I got sober right before he was born. Um, nice. So he and Mikkel and Margaret and I are having a nice life. We, um, I live, Max lives with me f full time. Um, and he's heading to college in the fall. We went and looked at colleges. That was sweet. Um, my work life is, um, Persevere is a nonprofit that helps prisoners transition out of prison with, uh, real meaningful uh, opportunities for work. The company was designed as a teaching coding, computer coding about which I know nothing, <laughs> uh, but in prisons. So nice. um, before COVID, I was going into the prisons and doing some group work and doing some individual work. 
And um, since then, um, the, these folks are transitioning out and they're getting some freedom in their lives. So you literally get to witness, I mean, people's lives change, those that are willing. Amazing. Yeah, that's right, beautiful. Directly, dude. and it's beautiful. And I'm, and I'm finding, and I, you know, I, I, I relate stories to sort of how my life has gone. And these guys are having a really hard time coming out. Yeah, yeah. Because um, they were told what there's no, very little freedom in, in prison. And um, I think about getting sober, and it was, it was kind of hard to adjust to a life where I wasn't shackled by drugs and alcohol. And I, because I was almost immediately kind of free of that obsession. I don't. Yeah, you, you experienced God. it in a carcer- incarceration of the mind. Right. Yes. Which, all, which we do as addicts, right? It's, it's imprisoning. Um, so I get to witness these guys. I get connected with a lot of them. We've got um, uh, our facilities are in Tennessee and Arizona. And so um, I've, I've been working remotely this year after COVID. Do you like that or do you miss the in-person? You know, I had a belief that we couldn't connect quite the same yeah. remotely, but I don't think that's true anymore. I, th- I think it's, um, it's just different, but I've, I've been able to connect really in meaningful ways remotely. Nice. Um, I also have a private practice, which has been growing a little bit, and I have clients I've never met in person, face-to-face, and seems to work just fine. I think if the intention is there and the foundation of, of, a, of love and compassion and empathy is there, my experience is anything is possible with that foundation. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm sitting here imagining I've never been to prison, and most of our listeners haven't, but some have for sure. But imagining prison where every minute of your day is regimented and you have no, I mean, your only choice is do you want the creamed corn or the, you know, the beans and, um, and then being turned loose into society where everything is open to you. Like, oh, not everything. Cause you don't have access to great means or money sometimes, but you have lots of choices in your life. Like, Tons of choices, and that that would be a tough transition. I think. I, th- I think we're finding that's the that's the thing, and it you know from the outside, I would think, man, that's the goal, like to get out and be free, and then then right. it gets easy, and that is just not so. Right. So really understanding that and and hearing that and supporting that, yeah. that you know, because my version is, again, not having been to prison, I've been to jail, but not prison, and. Um, I've been into prisons since working for this company, and it's doesn't feel very uh, freeing. But Mark, yeah. you said something I want to point out, and and Terry also kind of touched on it too. Relatability is huge, right? Our listeners want to be able to relate, and I think that even if you haven't been incarcerated in prison, um, at what point in our active addiction does our life become regimented? I mean, I right. think of like you talked about incarceration of the mind. Man, when I was in active addiction, my life was wake up, chase. Yep. Yeah, I mean, find it, use boom. it. Yeah. So no freedom. Zone out for a minute, yeah, and I mean, then wake up and do it all over again. Hey, I'd argue in a way you've kind of experienced that. Yeah. For sure. No, it, it just looks different. It doesn't. Yeah. Um, but it's, I, I felt imprisoned when I was using. I mean, yeah. I couldn't go on trips. I couldn't ski. I couldn't go do thing. I mean. As, as our listeners know as well, like I'm not, I'm not living a life. I'm, I'm living to get drunk. Right. Right. I mean, right. I wake up and I, my first thoughts are about drinking and using and, you know, 
95% of my time is spent thinking about recovering from or actually using. Yeah. Yeah. You're, in, you're maybe enslaved. 95 is generous, right? I mean, it might be more than that. So the freedom of recovery is amazing, right? I Absolutely. mean, one of the questions we ask through the 12 steps is like, how free do you want to be? And I don't think it means like, do you want to go over to that store? It's like how free inside <laughs> of you, in your mind and in your spirit, do you want to be? Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with you. All right. Well, let's go. Um, I want to go back to a lot of times in the first half of our podcast and there's not, we don't do a ton of structure, but we want to talk about how you got started using drugs. So take us back to your childhood. Uh, where were you born, raised? What was junior high, met grade school, junior high, high school look like for you? That sort of stuff. And I always like to say. And family of origin. Yeah. And let's keep the focus on maybe the traumas, right? Because we know the drug use is just the band-aid. Right. Yeah. Right. Thank you. Um, so I was born in Salt Lake. Um was adopted by a, a pretty normal-seeming family. Grew up Jewish in Salt Lake City. That's um, rough. You know, I, maybe. Yeah. I think I thought it was, and then I look right. back, and um, it wasn't, I obviously wasn't LDS, um, but I felt outside of that. I was also adopted into a family, and I have two sisters that are the biological kids of my parents. Mm. So... Um, feel like I fit into the family very well. I was a boy in the middle I, and I was looking for differences pretty early. I, I noticed I was like, how can I not fit into this family? Cause I didn't feel like I did. And in my neighborhood in uh, Olympus Hills, uh, I've everyone around seemed LDS and I'm, I'm not, um, everyone seemed calm and well adjusted and I was not, um, I was, I was sort of an anxious kid. I, um, I, I just acted out. I was always a smart guy in school. I did well in school, so I had a little extra time because I'd finished the work. Mark, do you think maybe the acting out was in a way to get attention or feel embraced more? I, I didn't know that then, um, but probably. Hmm. You know, so I um, elementary school seemed normal to me. Like I'd stay out at recess after the bell rang, and I'd try to kiss girls or pinch girls, or I, I had a thing for girls always. And, um, was just, I acted out a lot and the, we didn't call it attention deficit then. And we didn't have medication for it then. And so I, w I went to therapy at an early age, like first grade, kindergarten or first grade. Um, that was kind of traumatic. I didn't have a great experience in therapy. Um, mm. the man that was my therapist ended up being my stepfather at some point. Oh, wow. Um, and those details were kind of traumatic and, um, interestingly right about the time that he and my mom got together i started drinking okay that's that's probably not a coincidence how no. old was that how old were you when you started about drinking? 12 years old okay well that's a young age to start drinking. it's a young age sure. to start drinking and there was always alcohol in our home part of the ceremonial and ritual stuff of judaism is wine um i didn't really start drinking till i was like 14 but i i would I liked alcohol. I liked the effect produced by alcohol. Mm -hmm. Now you touched on this and I want you, I want to go a little deeper. You said, I don't think that was a coincidence. Well, I, I didn't really like what was going on in my life and I liked what was going on in my life when I drank. And so I Fair drank. Enough. I, I don't know that. So I know some way more details than the audience knows, right? Uh, than the listeners know. Um, I don't think that they can feel through what we've described so far how 
hard that was for you? Like, so the, the, this therapist who had told all of this stuff about my life is all of a sudden in my lives in my home. And that's got to feel really uncomfortable. It was uncomfortable and it was a violation of a lot of uh, ethical things that are going on. And I don't, I've forgiven this guy and moved on. But it was at the time when you're a little kid, I'm like, what has happened to my life? Like I was forced to see this guy who I didn't like. I told him about a family I didn't like. <laughs> and then he married one of those people. Right. And, and he shows up into the family. And he's in the like. home. And he's a, he was an abusive physically and emotionally and verbally abusive guy. And not a ton of that, but enough that like I, you don't hit 9, 10, 11-year-olds. Yeah. Um, and I got hit and I um, got told that I was not good enough and I was a bad kid and and I, I kind of was a bad kid. I mean, I was a, I was a difficult child, um, but therapy did not help. Ther- therapy for sure did not help. Interesting. I'm a therapist because it, well, uh, therapy with your stepfather never helps. <laughs> right. Right. And so, um, it, it was rather traumatic and I drank at that event. I drank at my mom and him for about 25 years. Like that was sort of the, mm. if that had happened to you, you would drink like this too. And, and I was sort of conscious of that after about 15 or 16 years old, that was kind of this F you to you guys. Uh, you are not going to control me. And I, I, I kind of ran away at 15. Um, was caught selling cocaine, which I didn't at 15. I didn't really sell cocaine. I was sort of a, I knew a guy and a girl asked me if she, if I knew a guy, so those were the people I was hanging out with at 15, right? Yeah. And at East High, there was cocaine at, in, as a freshman in high school. That's crazy. Um, so I got, uh, I left home. I I've sort of, I went to Florida for a couple of days with a buddy who said he had a job for me. This is kind of a cute story to me because I'd never heard the word before, but I remember I called him and I said, Andy, I think I, I'm going to, I've had it with my family. I'm coming out. He's like, great, we've got a job. I said, what are you guys doing? He said, we're gigolos. <laughs> and I'd, I'd never heard that word. I didn't know what that meant. Oh. I, um, it doesn't mean fans of Insane Clown Posse, does it? I, not at the time. I don't think <laughs> yeah. that's a, that sort of predates the, the posse. But um, so I, I go to Florida. <laughs> I, I, I didn't tell my parents. I didn't, like, I'm, and I'm still, I'm close with my dad at this time. I love my dad. I wasn't living with him. My mom fought to not let us live with our dad. Your biological dad? Nope. No. This is all of my adopted family. Oh, okay. So the bio stuff comes up later in my life. Okay. Um, so I go there and I'm like, we're going to work. He's like, we got this great job. And we ended up going to work at a car wash. So I, at 15, I'm like, oh, so if you work at a car wash, you're a gigolo. I, <laughs> I never found out till, I don't know, maybe I was 20 years old what a gigolo was. So yeah. we were not that. We were not gigolos. They were not. I don't know where my friend Andy got this notion that that's the work you do in a car wash. You scared me there for a second, Mark. No, that's listen. That's where I thought it was going too, and I know Mark pretty well. I'm like, holy crap! At 15, he's selling his body. No, no, no. But I, um, I probably would have liked that better than working in a car wash because I don't really like hard work. Sure. So my dad says, "Dude, come home. Like, what are you? What are you? What are? Where are you? What are you doing?" So I got home. Lived with my grandparents for a period of time who I this adored. Is, Sanford said this to you. Sanford's my father who just right. passed. The only dad, I, this, he's right. the only dad. But not your story. stepdad. Nope. Said that to you. Okay. Nope. I've kind of haven't had sure. much to do with him since I went to Florida. Okay. All right. Um, 
and lived with my grandparents and probably disappointed them. I drank and smoked pot and did cocaine at 16 all, all the time. Yeah. Until I was 39, like all of the time. Hmm. And it was on at 16. Um, for sure, marijuana and cocaine and alcohol when I could get it. Okay. The question to me. So I think you know something about how I grew up and it was a little different than that. How does a 16-year-old get the money for cocaine? He starts stealing okay. and selling drugs. All right. Mm. Um, I mean, I think I knew the answer, but... Yep. But Not gigoloing. <laughs> Great um, question, though. But yeah, so I happen. would... I would. Yeah, that's going to require some extra effort, for sure. It was some extra effort, and I wasn't doing a lot of cocaine. Like, it, the, when I started, like, a quarter gram could last an evening. Mm. And at the end, like, a quarter gram's a half a line, right? I mean, it's not, it's not going to get you going very far. So, um, I worked at Geppetto's pizza. I worked with cocaine. Like I was 16 years old and these guys were college students and they kind of liked turning this young guy onto beer and alcohol and that lifestyle. I apparently I was fun and funny and, you know, got into music and got into just that lifestyle. And I didn't, I knew I was going to college. I still went to school. I, I, um, spent one month of my junior year in high school, my friend Sandy and I decided to take to drop LSD every day for a month. Like that's the high school experience I had, and I, it, and the big book talk. It's like it seemed like the normal life, and I was like, it's just what my buddy and I are doing. You just couldn't hold it. You just kept dropping it. We kept dropping it right <laughs> under our tongues. Sorry. It was bizarre. It's crazy. It, kept, it kind of fell there. Yeah, sure. Um, but I, I like right what you. I like yeah. what you said there. To, it, when you're in those social circles, when that's your, you know, we know it's bio, psycho, social, social right? And then for me, it's spiritual. About. But when you're in those social circles, it just seems normal, right? Seems you normal. see people do it, it's around. And that's who I'm hanging out with, right? Yep. As, yep. as in my recovery, I hang out with recovered people and I don't hang out with alcoholics and drug addicts. I mean, it's, Amen. it's an interesting dynamic that I, I couldn't imagine not hanging out with these guys or smoking weed at least my whole life. Um, and for sure drinking, I, I couldn't imagine doing cocaine as an old guy. Um, yeah. But that was for sure my drug of choice was alcohol and cocaine. I mean, those were sort of my loves. Um, get to college, go to college. Um, got uh, really nice offers from colleges. I, I got accepted to Stanford University. I got a scholarship to the University of Queensland in Australia oh, wow. for marine biology. I didn't tell my parents. I didn't tell people. I ended up going to the University of Oregon. That's a big deal, dude. Big deal. I was smart. So I'm, I, I used to be a really smart guy. I think some oh. of the cells are gone. But I, um, <laughs> I'm sure you're still I didn't try guy. that hard. I didn't. Stop that. You're, so, you're a smart guy. But, it's, but I had a lot of like school intellect at, yes. in high school and was partying every day. And um, so I went to University of Oregon. And then I fell, fell in love with a new, I got sort of a new love addic- addiction of mine. And that was depression. And I didn't know it, but... I was 18 years old in, in Oregon and it's, um, it's rainy and cold and I'm, I'm starting to feel depressed and I didn't know it at the time, but there's this rich feeling of like, I think a lot of us alcoholics and addicts understand that of this self pity and depression that was addictive to me. I I didn't know it, but I, I was depressed till I was like 40. Like I had 20 years of a good run of real dark, deep, self piteous depression that I was addicted to. I was looking back, it was not a clinical thing. 
And it's crazy when you're in that state, like the songs you listen to keep you depressed, the people you hang out with you attract, keep you depressed. It's just a vicious cycle. Isn't that funny? Yeah, it's true. It's really true. Sure. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's crazy. All of a sudden, all I can listen to is Everybody Hurts by R.E.M. Right. And that hadn't even been written, but I could have right. written that I made song. it up. Right. <laughs> right. You know? For sure. When it comes out, you're like, well, did they know my right. life? <laughs> How did Michael that- Stipe know my brain? <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. All right, listen, you've been listening to Mark Pepper in episode one. He's been talking about his life in active addiction. We're going to get his rock bottom, his spiritual awakening, and his life in recovery today in episode two. Be sure to stay with us after this 30-second break from our sponsor, Steps Recovery Centers. Thank you. You are listening to We Do Recover with Jared Miller and co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers. We'll be right back after this short break with more of We Do Recover with Jared Miller, sponsored by Steps Recovery Center and the Hilton Garden Inn. I'm Desmond Lomax, one of the clinical executives here at Steps Recovery. And once you become of the Steps family, you're just a part of the Steps family. A lot of us have overcome substances, overcome addiction, and now we're able to help other people. Second of all, we're also gonna help you in a way where you can afford to be helped. Third of all, we're gonna give you the same quality that many organizations are charging two to three times. And it's more about you than it is about our organization. We welcome you back to We Do Recover with Jared Miller, co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. And now with part two of our podcast, Jared Miller and Dr. Terry Sellers. And welcome back. We're in part two of episode 25, We Do Recover. We have a special featured guest for you today, Mark Pepper. In part one, he shared his life in active addictions, some of the, as I call it, the lightning before the thunder, the trauma that led to the addiction. Here in part two, we're going to get his rock bottom spiritual awakening and his life in recovery today. Episode 25, part two, is brought to you by um, Hilton Garden Hilton Inn. Garden Inn. It's yeah. always sunny and bright at the Hilton Garden Inn. Yes, it is. If you or a loved one is traveling through St. George, Utah, give them a Google search. Just type in Hilton Garden Inn, St. George, Utah. They have amazing amenities. We love those guys. Thank you, Hilton Garden Inn. Yeah, I love Hilton Garden Inn. We usually stay there. I didn't stay there this weekend because Mark and I, when we go on a road trip, we can't be in separate like hotel rooms. Yeah, you're like brothers. You gotta. Yeah. We right. s- well, we sleep in the same bed. Was it like? That's not easy. true. Was That's it, not true. Is it like the movie Step Brothers, where you guys build bunk kind beds of, out of the yes. beds? Well, there is. I'm sleeping in a bunk. Do you want to do karate in the garage? <laughs> I'm sleeping at the bunk bed. Don't touch my drum kit. So we got a we got an Airbnb and it's lovely. But I do like Hilton Garden Inn. They're good to us. You just pissed off our sponsors. No, I love them. I'm just kidding. I love them. But just Mark and I like to have a, a, a like an area where we can hang out together, like a living room yeah. with a TV, yeah. so we can lounge and so I can force them to watch BYU basketball. Um, okay, let's move on. We don't have uh, you know we spent a lot of time last segment talking about various weird stuff so let's get right back into the story so you're at the university of oregon depressed take us yes. from there so and i'll i want to get to the recovery because that's been the good stuff right. and there's more more darkness so i i wanted this is kind of a cute story so i had an 18 year old brain at 18 that was addled by drugs and alcohol and uh, at the time there was a did a you pu- say addled addled I'm going to have to look that up. There was a, a publication at the time that maybe our listeners don't know of called Playboy Magazine. And it, <laughs> Never heard of it. Every year had the top 20 party schools in America. And I made a decision as a freshman in college. That's where you're going. To look at that art. Look, 
only get that magazine for the articles. Well, yeah, sure. And find out what number one was and go there and part. Like that was a, a decision I made with my own brain all by myself with no adult supervision. It's <laughs> a and smart that, decision. Right. That he, school, could have used a little adult supervision. Because <laughs> my parent, my, my dad for sure would have guided me a little differently, but sure. I ended up at the University of Colorado in Boulder. <laughs> and um, I want go so buffs. The next 20 years were. Uh, relationships failed, attempts at sobriety failed, attempts to move. I moved, you know, from Oregon to Oregon, from Oregon to Colorado, Colorado to London, England, England home, San Francisco. So I moved around trying to get sober. Like my intent to go to England was to sober up because I lived in Boulder and I was like, I have to stop doing this. Yeah. I need to get my life together. Can't get sober in Boulder. Not with the, not living in a fraternity house with 70 drug users and alcoholics. <laughs> right. Um, I can pick them. Sure. So I really tried hard. I went to my first treatment center at about 30 years old and, and during my first marriage, and that was Hazelden, which is apparently well-known, and I didn't know it at the time, and famous people were there. Wow. And I didn't. Um, I stayed sober about three days after I got home from Hazelden, thinking I could go to a club and listen to some music and not drink. Mm. I didn't... I've sure learned a lot about alcoholism and drug addiction as a sober guy, like what it means to me, my, you know, that I obsess about alcohol, whether I'm drinking or not. Yeah. And that I can't stop obsessing until I drink and then I can't stop drinking. Yeah. It's vicious. And, um, I understand that really clearly. So I, um, I, I want to get to the sober piece and my sobriety date is October 10th of 2002. October 10th happens to be my dad's birthday. And I didn't, I, I tried to get sober on his birthday for 15 years. Like I wanted to get sober so I could have dinner with him or as, you know, be part of the family. And so as we know, like I had every day of the year as a sobriety date for years. Yeah. This is the day, this has got to be the day that was a lot of desperate pleading to whoever, whatever's out, out there. there that I didn't believe in and I was sure that I was just doomed and it was not, you know, I ended up, I lived at Pioneer Park for a couple months in Salt Lake in a car. Um, and I, s I had money for cocaine, but not for rent. Right? We I mean, weird I, how that works. Of course. Weird how that works. Right. And, um, and nobody, they'd all kind of left. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, 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 I didn't get sober then. I got sober about, um, 18 months after that, but I went to my last treatment center, the Haven, in Salt Lake, which is county funded. It's not Hazelden. It's not fancy. So you live in a dorm with dudes. But I was introduced really deeply into AA. They do six or seven meetings a week uh, there. I think five, six a week, and then we go out to one a week. So I knew where to go when I was ready to get sober. And I didn't know all this at the time, right? I just knew, and I used in the Haven. Um, I, while in treatment. While in treatment for like the last 20 days, I w would just do a little puff puff of cocaine and um, go to group and go. And I was like, and I knew I was doomed. I'm like, you can't even stay sober in treatment, which was not the first treatment center I didn't stay sober in. Yeah. Um, interesting that I turned out to be a treatment provider because treatment never worked for me, although the seeds were planted, right? And I, I, I look back and all, all along the way seeds were planted that helped me get sober on the day I did. Um, so I got sober. Oh, I, but I, can I stop you yep. there for an observation really quickly? Because I think that that's an important concept. A lot of times people will say, well, treatment didn't work for me. When 
you just mentioned yes it did i mean it right. for sure did something for you did it did you get clean the day you went into treatment no but treatment did some things for you absolutely and i think that people will look at sometimes we the way we measure treatment outcomes like so treatment centers will call patients at the one year mark and say, have you stayed clean the whole year? No, I drank three times. Well, that's a failure. No, no, no. That's a guy that drank 365 times last year and drank three times this year. That's not an abject failure for sure. So right. uh, it's just a pet peeve of mine. And I, understand. And I know what exactly what you meant. And I also um, don't think everyone that goes like some people's lives may dramatically improve right. drinking three times a year. Right. I don't that three times a year he probably to. didn't lose a job right he and maybe they could do that ongoing I, i'm a guy that can't drink any alcohol or right. take drugs right. like i just learned that about myself um so i had met another woman i'd, rum, I'd really had gone through one marriage and i was with another woman who had um that little girl i mentioned that's 25 she was like six at the time so i met her and her mom and we got pregnant with our son wait her or her mom That's cute. I, I'm not even sure I know what you're saying. Don't even give that a dignified <laughs> um, answer. <laughs> and so, Sillers. so she was seven months pregnant and had had enough of my lying. And I, I, I promise I'm going to A. No, I didn't drink today. No, I haven't done any drugs with like my cologne or whatever I was wearing smelled a lot like Jim Beam and Jägermeister. <laughs> sure. And that white stuff around my nose was not a powdered donut. Sure. Like I, I couldn't tell the truth to save my life. And yeah. we'd be on walks and she's like, I know you're high right now. I, I'm like, I can see it. I know it's, I'm fine. I prom like, I dare you to drug test, right? I'm just so self-righteous. So she left with that beautiful belly and that six-year-old. Mm. That's, that was a Wednesday, October 9th. And went to that Wednesday night meeting I'd gone to before and a couple of my buddies were there. And, and I don't know about you guys. When we, when a new guy comes back that we're friends with, we just kind of chuckle and go, come on over, dude. We love you. Yeah. It's not that serious to us. To me, it was deadly. Like she's gone. I'm not going to see this kid get born. I'm out of that girl's life. And, um, I woke up Thursday morning, the next morning and, um, went to AA meetings. And then I, the next day I went to AA and I went to a little convention a CA roundup of the Rockies. And that Saturday morning, I got a service commitment in my Saturday morning group to set up chairs. It's an 830 group at the Friendship Manor. And they, um, I remember they're, they're saying, to, who would like to set up chairs? And I'm just sitting there and someone's like, Pepper will do it. I love it. It's like, <laughs> oh, okay, I'll do it. Like, it's probably 30 days, right? Two years, two-year commitment which I missed once for a golf tournament on Father's the day before Father's Day with my dad because I was sober and I um, had a service commitment in that Wednesday night meeting that I'd used at the week before as a secretary to give out chips. And I thought it was also 30 days, two years. So service is amazingly beautiful. I'm, I currently have a service commi uh, commitment in AA. I have a home group. I have a sponsor. I sponsor guys. I've been an AA kind of hard guy for 18 years, and I love it. And I appreciate the. I didn't believe in God when I got there. I didn't the steps. They, I, I'm the. I knew they didn't work because I'd gone to a couple thousand AA meetings before I got sober. And I thought either those guys are for sure not alcoholic. Like if they drank like I did, they would they would never be able to quit. Yeah, we're not the same dudes. Right. 
There's a lot of that. You have the worst case of alcoholism in the whole world. Nobody obviously. ever did more cocaine in the history of the world than right. me. Exactly. This is what you tell Sixth yourself, most yeah. cocaine use Sixth in the history. Most, that's an inside joke. So I got sober and my life got better. And I, um, I got a job and I, a dude in AA offered me a job and I ended up getting my only felonies in sobriety. Wow. Cause I don't know about any of our listeners or either of the, any of the guys in here, but I also stole like I did drugs. Always, always, always. Every store I went into, every house I went into, every opportunity to put something in my pocket, I would. Listen, Mark, I can relate. And let's be honest, that in and of itself becomes an addiction. The adrenaline rush, the um, being sneaky, the covert, that's just a... So I didn't stop that when I stopped drinking and I got arrested. And I've got two felony charges when I was about 11 months sober. And I've got, got the pleasure of booking myself into the Davis County Jail. Oh, yeah, I've been there many and, times. Um, I do think I was the best plea and abeyance guy that she had ever seen. I got that stuff done. I did not. I'm like, I, you, you need to stop being a criminal. I remember telling my sponsor that I had been arrested, and he looked at me and said, starting right now, there's zero tolerance for you stealing. Like, and this guy was like, I looked at him like my dad. Yeah. Like this, I looked up to this guy, still do, same sponsor. And I don't steal anymore. Um, but I really had a nice, I got, my son was born two months after I got sober, like the first absolute miracle of my life. And um, I'm really connected to that dude. It's really, we have a beautiful relationship. We golf a lot, we play a lot, we laugh. He's, he works out and I try to. Um, <laughs> he's amazing, right? And my daughter, I, um, I, I got to adopt her at about, I was about five years sober. And I'm adopted, so I'm like, you know, we were carving pumpkins, and we uh, we had put, like, the peppers. I'd put that in the pumpkin. Yeah. And I'm looking, and her last name was not Pepper at the time. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm going to, I'd like to adopt you. And it was just amazing. It was such a loving, beautiful thing for all of us. Yeah. And, um... So I'm going to, I'm going to stop you real quick because you're transitioning into your life in recovery and I love it and it's beautiful, but I want to point out something before it gets too yeah, far. you're right. I love about your story that a lot of people come on and they'll identify, here's my rock bottom, here's my spiritual awakening. Yours is a little different. It's like recovery stuck with you when that commitment, right? When somebody said, Mark will do it, and somebody gave you purpose, somebody like you had to go and set up those chairs for right. two years, you made that commitment. And I think it's interesting because I've, I've worked a little bit in recovery and I find when you have problem clients, the best thing to do is give them a responsibility. For sure. For and I sure. find that so interesting in your story that a lot of times maybe you didn't feel seen. Maybe there wasn't like some acceptance or feeling part of something. And then all of a sudden they say, Mark's setting up chairs. Right. Bingo. Right. I mean, you don't know that at the time, right? I was right. kind of upset. I'm like, I, so I have to get here at 7.30, turn the coffee on. Not a, not a commitment I could fulfill. There's, four, right? there's 40 people. Yeah. They do bingo the night before I have to take down the bingo. I mean, it was, it was the some best work. thing I ever did. Yeah. yeah, And I got to know the coffee woman, Robin, who we became good friends. And like, we just show up and talk about our families and talk about recovery. And she was a little ahead of me, but I mean, when you're 10 days sober and you feel good. Yeah. I, I'd say for my first three or four years, every day I'd wake, I'm like, I think this is the best day of my entire life. Pink cloud. And I was four and I'm on an 18 year pink cloud. And I just told you my dad passed. I've been married twice and divorced once in sobriety. I've been fired more times than I can even imagine. Yeah. Um, I've had a life, like life happens when you're sober and it's been amazing. 
I don't, I, I expect things to happen. Yeah. I'm ready when the next struggle happens. So I, I'm going to hearken back to, if you remember Dr. Rob, we had Dr. Rob on and we were talking about with Dr. Rob, that pink cloud. Yeah. And remember me mentioning when I was with, when I said that pink cloud, people say, be careful because it's going to end. And I said, it doesn't have to end. I got that from Mark Pepper. Like well, that, I think too, that came to me from Mark Pepper. It's also what I said at the beginning is it's my perception. Like my dad passed and I, I had a belief for sure before I got sober that I would have to drink if my dad died. Right. And then a, early on in sobriety, I'm like, there's no way I'm drinking again. Like I've, I, I'm done drinking. I know that. I, now I have to do things every day to maintain that awareness, right? right? That's a, right. it's a day at a time program. But I also, it's okay to say like, I, my commitment is to not drink again. I don't, I don't have any event in my life that a drink wouldn't really make horrible and wouldn't really mess up. And so I, somehow I knew, I mean, all, all of this stuff comes from the people that I've met and the, like you said, like you got that for me. I've, I probably heard it somewhere Right. that someone said, I have 15 years of pink cloud sobriety. I'm like, well, I want that. Yeah. Well, I'm the worst plagiarizer ever. Well, I we, say we, stuff I hear from people all the time, and you're yeah. absolutely right. No, I'm a way better plagiarizer than you. What are you oh, talking about? Oh, man. I, I hear stuff, <laughs> he right? And I'm like, I love that. And I'm going to use, I always tell people, though, I say, I'm going to repurpose that because right. it's good. And it's I give good. credit, right? I don't, it doesn't right. even matter really because it's, it's come into me. And I think what happens in recovery, in real recovery, from my experience, is I came into recovery and into the steps and into the program, and then the program comes into me. Oh, yeah. And I, I like that trend. And I don't know, that wasn't a day. My rock bottom wasn't a day. Like when she left with the baby and the her daughter, Yeah, it felt like a bottom. But I'd also, we were renting a house on the east side in Salt Lake. Like it wasn't the bottom physically. It didn't look like the bottom it, from the outside. It doesn't always have to be. Right. Yeah. So it's not, I, I thought that was the bottom when I lived at the park. Yeah. And I wanted to kill myself. And I didn't want to kill myself when I got sober. Like that obsession had left. Yeah. Through prayer, which I did not believe in, but was told at the Haven to go pray for that or else leave. And I, I like, I, I can go move back into my car. Yeah. So yeah. I tried that prayer thing. And since then I keep trying the prayer thing. And maybe that's why I have 18 years of pink cloud sobriety. I don't, I don't know if it's that I make my bed in the morning, like we're at an Airbnb and my bed is made. I love that. I don't. I kind of pulled my covers up only because I knew you were there because <laughs> I know you make your bed every morning. And it doesn't make me a great guy. It's like, I want to do the stuff that works. I've called a sponsor almost, it's probably not every day now. It's five times a week, four or five times a week. And I continue to go to meetings where, you know, I don't, it's, it's, this isn't rocket science. I thought I had to figure it out and I'm here to tell anyone that's listening that whatever, whether you believe it or not, it's already been figured out y'all. We just have to do some things. It's, there's nothing new for me at least that I have to figure out. That's beautiful. Yeah. I I don't, I don't have to like use my big brain to figure out what the heck I need to do. It's like, why don't you just do it? Like you said, why don't you just set those chairs up, dude? Don't worry about how it will benefit you. So I do, I do want to go back to that concept because I don't think we, if you are in early recovery, if you're listening to this podcast, remember that. Uh-oh, we went oh. dead. Uh-oh. Uh, I don't think, okay, there we go. <laughs> Somehow we uh, unplugged something, sorry. It went okay. silent for about one second. Oh, we didn't, okay. So um, if you're in early recovery, 
Remember that story that he just told. And if you don't have an assignment, you don't have to wait for somebody to point at you. If you are worried, if you really want to be clean and sober, go find the assignment. Absolutely. I mean, occasionally it's nice when somebody volunteers you, right? Because you might not have volunteered yourself. But the point is, if you're in early recovery and you want to stay that way, go find yourself something to do. Go find a service project. Go find something to get out of your own way, out of your own head. Go think about somebody else. And I, I think to the point that you made earlier, Jared, and that point is... I didn't have any meaning and purpose in my life. I didn't, there wasn't really a reason for me to be around. I, right. I, and my parents wouldn't say that or my sisters or, you know, but for but me, that it was, was like, your perception. I didn't have a drive. It's like, why would I want to wake up in the morning just to drink some more? Yeah. Right. So it turns out that helping people seems to be my meaning and purpose and seems to be most of ours in different ways. The service you talk about the, you know, finding a purpose and it, it's, individual man it's your own deal so i was going to say this when i think of the pink cloud because i've heard this before and i'm going to give give credit to terry webb i'm doing the clinical thing at steps and he's one of the guys he's teaching me uh shalee's husband and he asked a question the other day that i absolutely loved and it, it was makes me think of this pink cloud does treatment have you or sorry does recovery have you or do you have recovery and i think that pink cloud is for a while recovery you can write on that recovery can have you yep, yep. And then once you start getting involved in service and you start giving back and you start helping other people, you have recovery. Love that. So it is possible to stay on that pink cloud if you do your part and get involved. Right. And it's just your perception, right? Yeah. So I spent my first 40 years thinking my life was horrible. Probably wasn't as bad as I thought it was. I had a, my son, who I've mentioned a time or two, he said to me a couple summers ago, I don't know, it was, it was like eight at night and I'm in bed, I'm on my bed reading a book. And he comes in, he's like 15 or 16. He's like, you know what, Dad? I think you think your life is way better than it really is. <laughs> and he didn't realize he was paying me a compliment. He was just like, it's 8 o'clock, dude. <laughs> and like, you're up at like 5 and you meditate in the morning and you do your weird old dude things. <laughs> and so in recovery, I do think my life is better than it is. And But my whole life, I thought it was worse than it really is. And so... My perception changed. Now, of course, my life is much better than it used to be. But I also think it's the greatest life, right? Like, I don't, I don't want to exchange lives with anybody. I don't want more money. I don't want more prestige. I don't, I mean, I am married to the woman of my dreams, and my kids have turned out to be like, if I could handpick two children, they're my children. I have relationships with my family that I, I can't even imagine. None of whom were talking to me the day I got started. Like, they were all gone. Yeah. And um, I have sisters who will send their children to stay with me today. I, you know, when they were like, you're not going to ever see these girls. Right. You know, I think that we're the lucky ones because like if, if you have the blessing of having the addict gene and you've gone through this thing and you're able to make it to the other side that we call recovery, you appreciate life so much more because mm -hmm. I can totally relate to what you're saying. I've had people say, oh, Jared acts like he's, you know, got the world and blah, blah, blah. And, and I was homeless, dude. Right. Right. No shoes. Right. So oh, the I fact that I wake up in a warm house. With shoes. A vehicle I can trust to get me to and from. That you can pay for. A beautiful, healthy relationship in my wife. My family's beginning to talk to me again. You're right, I am. Right. You're, perception, right? It's, it's a lot of it. In my mind, I live like a king. Right. Me compared too. Compared to the way I used to. Yeah. And it's, it's um, and the other stuff, the outside stuff gets less important for me. 
and the inside stuff gets more important. Absolutely. And it's, um, and I'm seeking more, uh, you know, it says the point at the steps, we read this, this chapter five before meetings all the time. It's like, what's the, the point is that we're willing to grow along spiritual lines. It says that in the book and I'm a big, I like AA and I know not everybody, our audience and everyone is that, but um, it's a great book. It's a great book. It's regardless of whether you like AA, that's a great book. Right, And so I'm a guy that's really willing to grow along spiritual lines. And I've looked outside of AA for the last 15 years for spiritual growth. And I I don't want to say I found it. I guess you could ask the people around me. Like, I'm a pretty calm dude. I'm a pretty easygoing guy. Um, I don't know. I, you know, what's important is relationships. Yeah. That's what feels important. I want to, I want to grow those and foster those. I love that. So Mark with about a minute left here, I'm starting to ask this question. What does we do recover mean to you? You know what it means is I was a guy that thought those guys can recover, but I can't. Mm. And I know I'm talking to some people that believe that we do recover is everybody. If I can recover, you can. And, And there's people that are harder cases than me for sure that we look at and we're like, if that dude can stay sober, anybody can. And I believe that about anybody. There is nobody that is exempt from mental illness, spiritual illness, certain drug addiction. We can recover. It is a day at a time. It is slower than that sometimes. This is not, I know I said I'm staying sober the rest of my life, but this is, I I better show up today when I told you I'd be here. I better show up. So we do recover means all of us we right and i could not do it alone i tried for 15 years to get sober by myself once i joined the group we got sober beautiful terry take us out oh man that was beautiful thank you welcome to our guest i mean thank you to our guest mark pepper uh we do recover with jared miller episode number what was this 25 25 episode 25 join us next week Thank you for joining us today on We Do Recover with Jared Miller. Help us spread our message of hope. Like, comment, and share. If you have any topics or ideas for future shows, please share that on our Facebook page. That Facebook page is We Do Recover with Jared Miller. If you or a loved one needs help, please reach out to us. Again, thank you for listening. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. This has been a production from... A podcast studio.